This is Studio Talk with JTech. All right, then, ladies and gentlemen, it's a brand new year. It's 2018. And uh, just when you were starting to wonder where the Studio Talk podcast went, it's back and it's beefier than ever. This episode is brought to you by my online mixing and mastering service. In the last year, I've helped electronic producers across the globe get the best sound out of their tracks. Mix jobs this year have included releases for Mousetrap and Junibeats and Enhanced. If you're a budding producer looking to give your music an upgrade, head over to mix.jtechmusic.com. Mention the Studio Talk podcast to get a 20% discount off your first complete mix and master. It's with great pleasure today I announce the return of Studio Talk with a very special guest, John O'Grant. One third of international trance sensation above and beyond and one of the head honchos of the Anjuna Beats label, his musical legacy has stretched around the globe and he's played a huge role in my musical upbringing. We travel together quite extensively for a number of rather epic tours, including the 36-city Group Therapy album tour of North America, where I performed as the opening DJ. During my time living in London, we were also flatmates, and I learned many a great thing from him whilst geeking out over a glass of wine. It was fantastic to touch base with him again, pick his brains about all things music, not to mention hear the scoop on the latest Above and Beyond album. I hope you find it informative and enjoyable. This is John O'Grant. So you've just completed your fourth artist album uh, for Above and Beyond, which must be uh, pretty exciting and pretty exhilarating to, to have it done and dusted. Um, I'm very interested, and I'm sure a lot of people are really interested to know uh, what it was like mastering that album at Abbey Road Studios and what sort of went into finishing the album, the process that you went through. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a relief, actually, as I'm sure you can understand. Whenever you finish an album, it's almost like a weight off the shoulders um, because you've spent so long writing the songs and you know, finishing all the production off, it's, it's almost a relief. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we decided to master it at Abbey Road studios because one of the guys who masters records there is called Miles Sherrill and, um, he did tri-state for us and some of our acoustic stuff as well. And we like the fact that, uh, he doesn't sort of over compress or limit stuff. Um, and we're sort of heading in that direction a little bit, especially for, you know, our artist albums. And, um, yeah, so he's got a lovely analog setup in there. And, uh, you know, to get to go to Abbey Road Studios, you wander around that place and there's just like old bits of gear just sort of lying around that anyone can use if they want to plug it in in one of the studios. And it's just, you know, I mean, God, the Beatles, everybody recorded there. Beatles, Pink Floyd, you know, what's not to like? I think, you know, they, this could be the start of this new wave of not having to push everything, like turn everything up to 11 with the mastering, you know. Um, I think that's actually pretty exciting to be able to to have a bit more space, a bit more headroom. Um, how do you find having to sort of take what you've been doing in a digital studio and translating it into like an analog mixing desk, into all this analog gear that you're not particularly familiar with? How much of a, how much of a, a role did you play in actually sort of tweaking everything as you went along in Abbey Road? Well, it's an interesting one, actually, because this time it was quite different. Um, what we actually did is we set up in the uh, mastering studio, we set up our studio computer. We made sure all the projects were openable should we need to bounce something in there. So Miles has a lovely set of PMC speakers in there, which are uh, three-way. It's got a lovely mid-range, like you get in the ATC uh, monitors yep. as well. And um, so we're able to hear our mixes in the room and listen through all his lovely gear 
and go, you know what, that hi-hat is a bit loud or something really petty. If we wanted to change it, we could, um, you know, we could just print off the song again, uh, which was a, a, an interesting luxury to have um, because it did mean that, you know, we were like, oh, it'd be better if the vocal was 0.5 dB louder, wouldn't it? And then we'd, you know, run off another one and Miles would roll his eyes and then we'd you know, master that one instead. So it was it was interesting. I mean, I think, you know, there's a real value in taking music and listening to it anywhere else, of course, whether that be on a laptop, a phone or a great hi-fi or an amazing mastering studio. So, you know, it, it's whether it's an amazing mastering studio or a pair of earbuds, it's they all have the same value in, in, in many ways, you know. Something I noticed about you guys is that, uh, you know, you're you're a very sort of well-oiled machine. You've been finally tuning this process of making hit records for uh, a very long time, which is why I wanted to talk to you as well. And um, I think something that you imparted on me, something that I kind of really learned from the whole Above and Beyond project is that when you're the musician, you have to be somewhat robotic about things sometimes. You're creating this love, this experience of love and connection and unity. And it's it's this wonderful force that comes into the world and uh, it really impacts people in a big way. But then as the creator of the music, you you know, you have to actually sort of emotionally detach yourself from it and you have to be quite technical about it and you have to be sort of stoic and, uh, and have as little ego as possible, uh, essentially not get too high on your own product. And, um, yeah, I, I often sort of, you know, I, I see, you know, uh, say like broadcasts, like the ABGT broadcast and stuff like that. And I can so just like imagine you up on stage being like, oh yeah, that hi-hat needs like an, an extra like 12 kilohertz or six kilohertz or something, <laughs> you know? Um, no. Oh, I was just going to say, it's an interesting point. It's a very interesting point you make because I find myself as a person flitting between trying to be very creative and trying to be quite scientific and exact about things. And I think, um, you know, part of the challenge of this job is to exercise those kind of two parts of your brain in your life. And, you know, there are times when you want to be wild, like a child in the studio having fun almost and there are times when you want to sit down and edit the vocal and get rid of all the sibilance or you know do something kind of technical and i think you know there's yeah actually when when i'm djing i'm probably in the more analytical mode actually sometimes perhaps yeah yeah and i, I think musicians are sort of right brain people who are uh they have this erratic producer brain and they're they're exercising this this creative muscle so much that sometimes like the rest of their life can kind of be uh almost difficult to it, it can be difficult to come back to reality and i i think uh we see a lot of musicians struggling with like depression and anxiety yeah. i've actually sort of found over the last like 10 years that i've had to really work to bring some like balance back into my life to kind of get get the rest of my brain sure. kind of working in sync with this creative part because I know and I'm sure you, you know some of the artists that we know uh you know they are so kind of right brain they're so creative and often off with the fairies like head in the clouds that it can be hard to like live a normal yeah. life <laughs> your life in particular is 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 certainly yeah. far from normal in that you're constantly going through these different chapters in different parts of the world yeah um so I, I wanted to sort of ask you in the last sort of 10 years um how you've managed to sort of stay grounded, how you've managed to cope with this kind of constant pressure of, of having to be a musician, but operate exists, exists somewhat in the real world as well. Like have, have you managed to find a way to sort of find some yeah. balance in all of that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the short answer to the question is, you know, probably some form of meditation and detachment from it. I would, I would argue as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting point you make because I think this, this life is not normal. Uh, but generally life at the moment, I don't think 
way that people live these days is particularly normal, you know, with all the phones and stimulation. And, and so I think um, and the point you raise about social media is fascinating because I feel that, you know, people are so sort of consumed with what the scoreboard is, what the scoreboard's showing rather than sort of, you know, competing against themselves or not competing, but, you know, focusing on themselves. In a, in a good way, not in a kind of narcissistic way or something. But, you know, you should focus on your own stuff, not on what everyone else is doing. But I think social media encourages the opposite of that. And you're right, that can cause depression, anxiety, all these terrible things. So, yeah, I think, you know, the way to cope with it really is to, is to get some kind of detachment from it. And it, it is real what's happening to you. But on the other hand, you, you know, you've got to keep your feet on the ground and realize that this could this could all disappear tomorrow. But I say that in a positive way, not in a kind of fearful, oh my God, my career is gonna end tomorrow if I don't make this record or I don't do this gig very well. That's not the way to live at all. But just to kind of be able to enjoy the moment. I mean, we were talking a bit earlier about um, being on stage and analytical brain. And actually, the more I think about that, I'm actually you know, trying these days to enjoy the moment and uh, absorb the atmosphere that's actually happening rather than thinking about six kilohertz on the hi-hat as, <laughs> <Yeah. do, laughs> as, as you pointed out. Um, so yeah, I, I really think, yeah, I mean, there are some big lessons you can kind of learn from those of us like you, know, you and I who've been around maybe a bit longer than some of the newcomers to this, uh, this scene, if you like. Yeah. And I think it, it, it really is, you know, don't take anything for granted and really, really try and um, really try and enjoy it because you're right. There's a, I think what you were sort of hinting at is, you know, you're on tour on this bus and all the, these gigs are perhaps happening and it, it, and it's just happening to you almost. <laughs> and you've got to really absorb yourself in it and, and really enjoy it and experience it fully. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it be eating a piece of chocolate or, at a gig, <laughs> listening to a piece of music or DJing to a crowd, really, you know, try to be involved in it rather than separate from it and analyzing it too yeah. much. But yeah, clearly, um, I think as a producer, you, you, you often, you know, this part of the skill set is to be analytical. So you often have a natural tendency, perhaps, to analyze and, you know, do all that kind of intellectual stuff. Uh, but really, you want to be in touch with your emotional side and, and get that up and running, I think. Yeah. And I think to, to not uh, be too attached to this idea of having to be successful and admired and famous. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. You know, I think that actually gives you the power to go and and be that because, you know, I think people see other people doing better or they, you know, they see people having these big wins and they... They think they're doing better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but those people might have like a whole host of other, you know, issues that they're, that they're battling with. And I think it's just, um, you know, totally. we just got into this, into this pattern of using other people to like measure our own kind of, you know, our own failings or our, or our own, like the things that we haven't been able to yeah. achieve yet. Um, but I, th I think also everyone in our world kind of got a big shock when dance music moved to the USA and it, and it converted to EDM, you yep. know, it was this, um, because I think for me personally, you know, when I was like a teenager, I was like, I'm going to take on the whole world. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take over global dance music. I'm going to go out there into the world. And, and I think it was only when th this whole thing moved to the U S and, and got exponentially bigger. Did I realize that the world is a big place. And <laughs> if, if you want to rule the world, it's, mm. it's, it's not, su it's not such an easy thing, you know? And, um, so I, I feel like when things moved to the U S, uh, there was this almost, um, kind of, uh, requirement that you had to inject a little bit of pop music into your, into your dance music. You know, it, it wasn't like a, you know, 
Um, it, it was just a matter of people aren't going to listen to it if it wasn't like that. Right. Um, because pop music makes so much more sense in the US because it's, 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 it's the yeah, natural yeah. habitat of that kind of music. Yeah, it's a funny one. That's a really funny one for me in a way because I find that um, I, I naturally kind of like stuff that's a little bit poppy. So it kind of suited me to go down the path we went down because, you know, and I, and I consider your stuff in that category. And I mean that as a compliment that, you know, your, your stuff has good melodies and hooks and things like that. I was never into the sort of really, really underground techno or stuff like that. I like the grooves of that music. But yeah, I suppose EDM, the trouble with that was it became a bit of a caricature of itself. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, people kind of reversed the polarity of what they were, what their musical message was in order to suit that. And, and I think, I think what I, from, from, well, from an outsider's perspective anyway, it, it feels like, you know, because you yeah. guys had had that, you'd had a little bit of that pop influence all along. You'd, you know, you'd had like, you know, like that, you remixed Madonna, yeah. you know, you'd had, a few, you'd had a few things that were on like MTV. Um, and I feel like you, you injected yeah. like just the right amount of pop music into the dance music to, to translate to that whole world and really like take off in that world without actually, without right. having to sacrifice uh, the identity that you had in the first place. You never had, you never had to kind of turn your back on your musical principles. You never had to sort of, sell out really. So, uh, you know, yeah. and um, I think that, you know, that is actually really, it's a really yeah. important thing to be able to have like a, I think a linear progression, you know? I think the other thing is it, it, it really depends on your definition of pop. Obviously, if we just put it into one side for a minute, I've always liked kind of poppy stuff, like I said, in dance music, but my understanding of what's pop might be quite different from someone else. I mean, I'm not a big fan of probably most pop music of the last 10 years or so personally but you know i grew up in the 1980s and i uh, loved a lot of the 70s music you know i hear pop music as that to me and so to inject some you know some of that into our music is is important to me so, so yeah i kind of i kind of think it depends on your perspective of, of what pop is as well um because i wasn't a fan of like a lot of the early 2000s it got a bit all about you know I'm driving this Rolls Royce and I'm doing this and yeah, so what? <laughs> you know? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, that wasn't my kind of music. So if that's someone's pop reference, that's a different thing for me. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've always loved great chords and melody, you know, from uh, a lot of the artists I grew up with. So I've always wanted to have that in our music. Um, not just about the grooves, although I'm, I'm a big fan of a great groove as well needs both yeah I, I think where pop music can go wrong is when uh i think it's all about the motivation you know and i think like you said in the early 2000s uh, it was it was so much about yeah. winning you know it was so much about sort of like racing ahead in this kind of in this race for attention basically you know and i, th I think the people you know yeah, yeah. the people who kind of weathered that i think are I think of the most genuine and the most, for me, the most enjoyable music is the music that can be unashamedly poppy, but not having to sacrifice any kind of, or not having, not having, you know, be gimmicky for sure, but not have to sort of sacrifice any musical integrity in order to do it, you know? Um, but it's also a matter of translating to a big audience and, and not everyone is wired to listen to super complex or super underground music, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think what you've, what you've hit on there is really, really important. It's about intention. And if, you're, if, if the intention of the music is authentic, it's like, th this is what I say to so many people without wanting to be patronizing whenever I meet other producers who seem to have something going on and they're, you know, maybe on the up and they maybe drift and they kind of, they, they, they see something, they see someone doing something else and they want a piece of that. They're like, oh, 
well, you know, David Guetta's doing this. I want to be a bit like David Guetta. And it's, but he's David Guetta. You're someone else. You know, you're not David Guetta. Yeah. David Guetta does what he does brilliantly. He's authentically David Guetta, but it doesn't mean you should be David Guetta. And, and, and I think that's where the, the problems really start. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just about finding your own voice and, and sort of sticking to that. It doesn't mean you can't experiment. I mean, it absolutely should experiment. And, you know, your audience will come with you if they believe in you. But the idea of sort of just drifting off because that's where, the way the wind's blowing, that's not a very attractive quality in an artist, really. And the audience, they're not stupid. They can sniff that stuff out very, very quickly. Yeah. I think if anything, you want to be moving or you always want to be moving closer to yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think the reality is sometimes like the, the, the more genuine your music becomes that, you know, the, the further away from what you thought it was going to be, it actually is like, you might, you mm. might discover a, a puppy vein in your, in your character that you did, that you didn't know was there. I personally was, uh, almost like afraid to be puppy for a very long time. I felt like I had some duty to, yeah. to, to be, to be like really <laughs> underground. Um, and I think it was actually you who said to me, yeah. like, people just want to hear you. Like they don't want to, you know, they're not, they're not looking for. Yeah. The, the the like you know, they're not they're not looking for like a cog in a machine they're looking for somebody who's like you yeah. know their own personality um but speaking of intention yeah. um as as far as the intention of the above and beyond project from from where it began back in sort of i guess the late 90s to to now what what has been the kind what do you think have been the kind of cornerstones of the intention of the music and what do you think it is about it that's that's resonated with people so much around the globe I mean, I think if you ask each individual member, you get three different answers. Um, for me, it, you know, it really is the enjoyment of making music. I just love, you know, sound, music, and it just gives me a feeling. I can't say that I'm, you know, making this music to try and change the world or anything like that. Whereas for Tony, I think, you know, he loves writing lyrics and how the song is understood and and, um, you know, the craft of writing lyrics is very important to him. The, the lyric, I'm not a lyrics guy at all. You know, you know, yet I recognize that for a lot of above and beyond fans, the lyrics are massively important. For me, you know, you can have the greatest lyric in the world, but if you haven't got, um, you know, a great set of chords underneath it or a great singer to sing it and all those things, they're all very important too. Um, so for me, I suppose the, the value of our music is only realized after the fact. I mean, it's only over the last sort of 10 years that I've really grown to understand the importance of our music to our fans. You know, for me, it's something that I do and something that I really enjoy doing. And it's, it's a really nice bonus that other people seem to like it. Um, so, so the idea that there's a mission behind Above and Beyond for me uh, is incorrect because there isn't really a mission of you know, wanting to cause some political movement or, you know, whatever it might be. It, it really is just, um, it, when I, when I talked about intention, I, I, I guess I meant, um, just, you know, in, the intention of the feel of the music rather than the intention of, um, causing a movement or sharing an opinion per se for yeah. me, but that, that would vary for each person. I think there is something to be said for the saving the world, element of the music as well though like i, I you know um yeah well, that would be a nice byproduct yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> i mean but, but I, I i just guess if i focused on trying to save the world i might not write well maybe it would be great music but um 
it's yeah it's not at the forefront as i'm doing it i mean it, it sounds like you've got the right approach to it of kind of getting out of the way of all of that rather than than dwelling on it too much yeah. you know um it, it you know no when you can i think when you can add a here's what i would say when you could when you come up with something okay you come up with a little hook or something and then you start to add a story to it that it's sort of in that order sometimes you definitely can add some meaning to things afterwards you know as you're creating it but I guess it comes in that order. Yeah. So you don't you don't kind of sit down and say I'm going to write a song about saving the world today. It, it's it's not like you, it's not like you come into it with that kind of um, not consciously. Maybe maybe subconsciously. I mean, not saving the world necessarily, but you know, subconsciously you might have an idea about you know an emotion, something you felt or something you experienced, and that then sort of ends up being music somehow. I think I think that does happen, or something you know, or it could be another bit of music that you've you've swallowed up and kind of spat out in a different way. You know, <laughs> that happens too. Yeah. So it can be many things, I think, can't it? But um, speaking of like the genesis of a new track, like uh, d- would you say yeah. that you kind of start trying to have the the point of the track nailed? And by that, I mean, you know, before you sort of start tinkering around with instruments and things like that, do you, do you want to have an idea in your head or like something that you can play on the keyboard or like s- some kind of really sort of basic idea from which everything else can stem before you start doing any crazy production or do you just sit down and just sort of start noodling and just see what happens i do a bit of both but the 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 most productive way i find is when you i mean it's often at the end of the day when you're not really concentrating that something great comes out because your subconscious mind is speaking more than um we could talk about that for a long time but um i think that yeah the best ones for me are when normally when i pop to the other room and have a tinkle on the piano and play with some chords out of the studio because i'm not distracted by whether there's enough 60 hertz on the kick drum or you know that kind of stuff that gets in the way of the actual core musical idea i think you know you really need a strong musical idea a a kick drum doesn't sell you know (laughs) and it doesn't and it doesn't move people (laughs) you know it can in the context but um not on its own so yeah i feel the best the best ones for me are when i've got a an idea in my head you know some kind of little bit of music and that can come from experimentation as well yeah sometimes yeah sometimes it's playing around with something but you know i was fascinated to watch um dead mouse uh work because he he you know he's moving a lot of notes around and playing with stuff in that way and i kind of really respect that because for me I kind of go, oh, I want the chords to do this. And then I work it out, you know? Yeah. That kind of that mo- those moving those notes around in Ableton doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I'm definitely happy to work like that because I, a lot of the tracks that I've done, I haven't had like a MIDI keyboard with me. I've been like on the road somewhere and I've been like just starting to put it together on my laptop. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the track I put out with Anjuna uh, on the volume 13 last year, Inspire, um, I think that yeah, yeah. what I really, I, that was a very easy sort of track to make because I kind of sat down and I had some kind of like, it was some kind of orchestral instrument or something. And I, I just hammered out that kind of like that chord progression. And it was just like, I sat down yeah. and did it. And it was, it was the last track I made in my, in my Berlin studio. It was like the end of this time living in Berlin. And it was, it was, it was just like mm. the soundtrack of this, of this like period of my life ending. And it just, but it just, it was just something that I hammered out. Yeah, but you had some meaning there. It's interesting, isn't it? You you felt you obviously did actually genuinely feel from what I'm getting that 
it was the, this was the end of an era and and that sort of like gave you the mem- momentum to kind of make that bit of music it sounds it, like even if it was subconscious at the time i don't know yeah and I, you know i do think that some of i think some of the most memorable tracks that any artist has has that they're, they're definitely linked to a place in t- a point in time you know like a place that you were when you wrote it yeah you know um yeah and <laughs> I, I think it really comes across in the record so um I, mm. I think actually also living living a good life is is a big part of it I, you know um yeah I don't, I don't know if you know like the web comic the oatmeal um but he did, no, this, he did this great uh he did this great comic about how creativity is like breathing and it's basically like you know yeah you once you've sort of got it all out you need to go and live your life for a while and have new experiences so that you actually have some ammunition yeah. you know Definitely. And I think if you haven't got any struggle in life or not necessarily a struggle, but if, it's, if nothing's happened, if you sat in a room for too long on your own, you probably wouldn't come up with that much. I mean, you, there might be a point where you did because you went kind of mad. <laughs> but, um, you know, you need to, yeah, you need to absorb something. I think um, you need to have some experiences to be able to keep outputting stuff. And that can come from other music. It can, can come from your life. It can come from relationships with people. There's many, many sources for that. And then, you know, you subconsciously kind of spit that out, I suppose, in, in the form of music. Um, but, yeah, you've got to get out there and, and experience some stuff. And I also feel like, you know, going to other gigs. I, I actually went and saw Phil Collins the other night. And I've, I've been a big fan of Phil Collins and Genesis ever since I was a kid. And I, and I thought to myself, why have I not been to see him? I mean, he hasn't actually been out there for about 10 years. But, um and I was fortunate enough to get tickets at the Royal Albert Hall. And it was such an inspiring experience. Um, you know, just the amount of hits that guy's had. And, you know, I was so influenced by a lot of the chords, the chord progressions and stuff in Genesis. And it just, you know, really brought brought it back to me what inspired me to get into music, you know? Yeah. And they, they had like, you know, they were the champions of like the uh, the 11 minute uh, progressive rock track you know yeah. which was like <laughs> and they got away with it and i love that i love the fact they got away with it you know that the idea that it, it's the, sort of the antithesis of that edm thing obviously a different era but the idea that you know a record doesn't have to be three minutes long no you know and do you know what there's going to be fifty thousand people singing along and really enjoying it and that i really really love and and i kind of like a little bit of that in above and beyond where it's like if we can break a rule or two, we're not that rebellious, but if we can, you know, secretly be rebellious and, um, you know, do, do things our way. I kind of like that because the sort of conformist thing in dance music really kind of is, is very uninspiring and kind of depressing for me. When every, the, the times that I hear an artist say something like, oh, you guys are so lucky because you can play this or, I'm, I'm like, you can play what you want, you know, <laughs> people might leave the building, but you can kind of play what you want and take the risk if you really want it, you know, it's in your hands. Yeah. I think especially looking at like the way that you guys took uh, all the music that you'd done and turned it into like an acoustic show and, you know, just, t- just turned everything yeah. on its head. And, you know, I, I think, I think you, you, you kind of have the space to do that now because you've done the, the, the track record, you know, you've, you've sort of, you've, you've put in the hard yeah. yards of, of being, you know, this, uh, this trance project that, you know, you, like you were, you had the space to, to sort of naturally branch out. And I think people love that, you know, yeah. I think people yeah. are, people, people love some live instrumentation. If anything, it actually kind of feels like the world is, is returning to normal a little, little bit with all this kind of music. You know? <laughs> I agree. Actually. I think, I think that's very true. I think that 
there's more opportunity and maybe it's uh, maybe it's our own lives and uh, you know it's perfectly possible that it's that but i feel that there's more opportunity to to really just get on with whatever you want to get on with and not to worry and i think the reason i say that i think is a lot to do with the way that music is consumed now i think there is a big advantage now with spotify and all that kind of stuff and you you'll find that often it's the tracks that you think oh is that a little bit too um too chilled out or is that's not you know maybe that's not going to appeal to our core fan base and when you put those tracks out and put them on spotify they're often the most popular ones yeah um there's definitely a a spotify sound you know and i think everyone gets it um i'm not sure if you if you do the whole discover weekly thing but it's it basically uh spots not too often but i have done yeah yeah so spotify is actually very very good at telling you what music you like you know it it kind of know it knows your tastes in music better than better than you do in some ways because it's got this it's got this (laughs) algorithm that um is continually being improved and they've actually just added if you're on the spotify desktop app they actually have the option now you can like or dislike a track when it suggests it to you yeah what you can do you can take like uh you can take like a playlist of, of 20 of your favorite tracks and you can right click it and go create similar playlist. And it will, it will create a second playlist with like 20 tracks wow. that like people who have liked all these tracks that. have liked as well. So it can actually, it can show you so much music, um, you know, that, mm. that you are probably almost certainly going to like, you know? Yep. Um, but there is a, there is a Spotify sound, you know, there's this kind of, I don't know, like it's, it is, it's more chilled. It's, it's, it's music for your living room. Yeah, I suppose that's the way most people would consume music on it, isn't it? So perhaps. Um, I, I just think Spotify is a product. When you look at it, it's an incredible product. I mean, of, of all the... the uh, Tidal's very good as well because it's um, extremely high quality. But you look at what Spotify delivers, the end user, uh, and it is... I mean, it is the Netflix of audio, isn't it, really? I, I just think that... You know, I know some people are unhappy with the royalty situation and things like that. And, you know, that's that's for another debate. But I'm just talking as an end user, you go onto Spotify, the amount of music you've got access to. Can you imagine if you had that as a kid? Yeah. You know, because it, it was cassettes and CDs when I was growing up and, and LPs as well, vinyl. And, you know, just it's I, I think it's mind blowing. And, and and just to be able to think of a record I knew when I was a kid and go and listen to it there and then I, I love it I mean I just it's it's made me kind of fall in love with listening to all sorts of music that I wouldn't normally listen to just you know stuff that you stumble across yeah there isn't there isn't nearly enough time to listen to it all no. as well it can, it can be overwhelming as well can't it sometimes you sometimes you just want to set it on something and, and like relax <laughs> yeah let it do its thing um I think as a label as well you have to be sort of prepared for the fact that you know you're going to sign a track or you're going to produce a track yourself. You're going to put all this effort into getting it out there into the world. And in this day and age, it's, it's, it's going to yeah. be like making the rounds for like a week or two. And then this, then the world's going to move on to something else. Uh, it's very, that is true. That is yeah. True. So it does make music a little bit more, I don't want to say disposable, but I, I think, um, people, people don't dwell on a record as long as they used to, you know, I think some of my favorite, Perhaps. some of my favorite digital tracks are actually the ones that I bought on iTunes. There was something about, mm. there was something about physically making the purchase, you know, and getting this, you know, right. I, I noticed the artwork of it more, you know, I listened to it more times because I've invested in it. Um, people, people don't have to mm. really invest anything into, into, a, into the musical product. Now, That's true. You know? Um, which I do think it affects the, yeah. the music a little bit. Like I, I think it, you know, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. I think the music is aimed 
for the fact that people maybe don't have quite the attention span for it they used to. And yeah. I, I don't say that as like a complaint. See, I, you know? I see it. I suppose, sorry, I was just going to say that I, I sort of see it another way though, because I, I feel that uh, I, I bet you on Spotify, the most played tracks, obviously that they've got new stuff coming through on the discover weekly and stuff, but I would imagine the most played tracks are still the big hits. So, I mean, when I say big hits, I just mean classic records, I suppose, just, you know, any classic song over time will will rack up those numbers because really quality. I hate using the word content because it kind of makes music sound like a commodity. <laughs> um, but you know, it is. I, I I feel that actually long term, it should encourage if people are clever, musicians are clever and stuff. They should encourage them to make the best music they can because long term that's going to be better for them isn't it rather than trying to make something that grabs someone's attention one week i think we've always had that in pop music and and stuff to some degree and i just wonder if actually spotify has allowed you know a broader a broader selection of music to become popular that's the way i see it but maybe maybe i'm wrong i don't know no i i think actually uh something in something in, in support of that would be um and I've used this yeah. example a couple of times on this on this show, but um, I know uh, Matt Fax, who does sort of more on the un- underground yeah. tip of progressive house. Um, you know, yep. through some of the releases that he had, they were kind of they were in the right place to get like a lot of uh, to get noticed a lot on Spotify. And so some of these tracks that they might have been a relatively maybe even a relatively small release if it was like a vinyl. Uh, pressing, you know, like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. Um, but because it sort of uh, took off in this Spotify system, it's actually, uh, you know, it's got sort of in the millions of plays. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there is actually the possibility for some of these records to have more light shone on them than ever before. And I actually think, um, I mean, yeah, what you were saying about the royalty situation, I mean, it seems to me like that's actually getting better, right? Like, I mean, uh, sort of looking at the Spotify projections and, you know, um, I'm sure there's probably more stuff to be ironed out and figured out. And, you know, like people need to make sure they're getting the right deals and the right distribution and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, certainly with running my yeah. kind of underground uh, label Positronic, yeah. um, what I've found is that you know, everything that I've done to date on that label just sits there quietly in the background earning stri- streaming mm. revenue that just comes into my account like once a month, you know, yeah, it's very handy and very sort of, you know, it, it, the song is played by somebody and like the, the money is just instantly generated, um, which is very di- different yep. from the sort of previous systems of, of having to, you know, and which we still have to this day of sort of having to reach out to people, distributors all around the world and be yeah. like, how many copies did you sell? Yeah. Having this money kind of tripling back, trickling mm. back. Um, so there is something to be said for that kind of, you know, um, it's, it's very easy to put music out now, I think. Yeah. I think, I think, I suppose the scary thing for some people might be that there's this one company that has all the catalog. Cause I think it would be extremely difficult if you were to do a startup now. Um, I mean, this could be famous last words, maybe we'll see another big startup, but to, to, to set this up again now, I think Spotify have got such a hold on the market. I, I couldn't see another company just storming in now with something unique because, you know, the music that's there is kind of, you know, Prince is on there, you know, it's like you can listen to a Prince record and then you could listen to a Tiesto or above and beyond or JTEC record afterwards. Yeah. And that's, what's great about Spotify because the old platforms like Beatport and these places, they're great for DJs, but they're so specialist. And, and I think there's a real magic in, someone being able to listen to Beyonce record and then a, yeah, one of ours or something like that. That's kind of cool that 
we're open, you know, for business in a sense as dance musicians. Um, I think that's cool. I know some people have a problem with, oh, yeah, but the, the music's not underground anymore. But to be honest, whether someone listens to it as a Beyonce fan or not, or whatever artist, pick a pop artist, doesn't mean anything to me. I'm still going to make the same music. <laughs> yeah, I think even if people said to me, that my music wasn't underground enough anymore. I would, I would probably just say to them, well, why don't you just go check out like the hundred <laughs> releases that I had over the last decade that, that were underground, you know, it's like, there's enough, there's enough underground music in the world. You know, it's funny that I say that about underground cause no, no one ever says that to us. So I don't know why I'm saying that. I must be projecting something because <laughs> <laughs> no one ever complains we're not underground enough, but, um, yeah, it must be in a deep, deep rooted insecurity. No, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I love it. But yeah, Spotify, good, good thing. I think overall, I know the royalties debate, but yeah, it just, yeah, it's a great product. I think. So now I want to ask you a little bit more about the album itself. Cause we, uh, I kind of, I kind of t- yeah, touched on that on. in the beginning and then went off on a tangent. <laughs> um, tell us all about it. What is it? What is the, what is the next evolution of the, of the above and beyond album experience going to look like? What, what can we expect for this fourth album? Yeah. God, you've really loaded that question. I feel like <laughs> ooh, I feel the pressure, the, the answer. All the eyes are on you right now. Um, so you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a couple of weird things on the album, like the fact that I'm singing on one of the tracks, which I never thought I would do, but I found myself singing on one of the tracks. Oh, really? Tony and Pavo. Yeah, they really like the vocal, so it made its way on there. I already, it's funny, I was looking on Twitter, someone was talking about the track listing, and someone said, who's singing on this one? And, you know, it was... It was kind of weird because I suppose it's the only track that doesn't say featuring because <laughs> it's it's all us in a sense. Yeah. Um, so that's that's quite a wild card. We've got we've teamed up with Zoe Johnston again and Justine Sweeser, um, who we obviously did the Ocean Lab stuff with. Um, some really nice stuff from them. Uh, Marty Longstaff. The first single that came out uh, was Tightrope, and that one. Uh, was with Marty Longstaff. He's on there on just that one track. And then we had, uh, we've just had my own hymn with Zoe and then Northern Soul, which is doing really nicely on US radio, which is always good. Um, that, but that to me, I suppose that's the, my one external focus. I love, I, there's something, there's some buzz. I think you'll understand this when you hear your record on the radio. I don't know. It's something that you, I always wanted as a kid, you know, to turn on the radio and hear, hear my own track. That was, that's one of those magical things. So that's always exciting when stuff's going on the radio, I find. Um, so yeah, it's, I think we've got 13 tracks on there. There's two instrumentals, I think, bookending the album. Um, we should put a few more on actually, but, um, what I can say actually is we use a lot of analog synths on the album and you could debate all day long. Oh, is it worth it versus a soft synth? The point was we had fun doing it. You know, it was, fun to use a real Jupiter A, a real Mini Moog Model D, which I found interestingly, yes, the Arteria one is similar, but there's something that happens when you stick one of those Moogs. I would did with um, Air for Life years ago, used the Sequential Circuits Pro 1 in that track for the bass sound. And I don't know if it's my imagination, but something happens sometimes when you put one of these analog mono synths doing the bass line. Um, it just feels right to me and i think it's probably stuff you've grown up with and you're used to hearing um so we've got you know a bit more kind of hardware action than perhaps on group therapy uh sorry on uh, we're all we need 
um, did a lot of recording. Yeah, a lot of recording. There's a lot of guitars on there as well. Tony recorded quite a few bits of guitar, and I did some guitar on Cold Feet as well. Just a few simple bits there. Um, Cold Feet was a track we did with uh, Justine Sweeser. So, yeah, I, it, I think it's a little bit, it's quite, it's quite organic in that regard. There's a few sort of banging dance tracks on there, though, as well. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how it's going to be received on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, I tried to sort of disconnect from that and just go, well, we've done the album. There's nothing we can do about it now. <laughs> People will make of it what they will. And I think you'll agree the worst thing you could do is read the reviews. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Just don't do that because you'll find something in there that you agree with. <laughs> Some journalists will say this song isn't that great. And you'll go, yeah, that wasn't my favorite, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll always have one or one or two comments about something that you, you know to be true. And then you're, the journalist will, will point it out. So, yeah, I just I don't even go there anymore. It's not it's not worth it because journalists don't dance around on the dance floor generally. If you do, but yeah. It's, it's not not really the focus. I think once again, it is about not having too much of an, an attachment to, you know, getting some seal of approval from somebody. I, I think, you know, if, if you've yeah. got people all around the world really enjoying it, then that's all the approval you need, you know? Absolutely. And the, the attachment thing is huge because especially during the creative process, because if you carry that mentality into the studio, you'll never write anything, you know? You really won't because you'll be so frightened of doing something. That you, you just, that's what, that's kind of what writers block is it's being afraid you know it's a fear thing yeah. i think writer's block can be very much rooted in that i found a um a good solution to writer's block uh you know i would ask myself the question what should i do to this song now and i would just answer it with do anything like do, just put put something in there like it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter yeah. what it is you know ah, what you've hit on there is absolutely bang on do something do anything doesn't matter what it is you know put the sound of a some i don't know find some strange sample of a I, I just anything just shove something in but do something don't do nothing and because that's what i've noticed yeah when i've been in a, a, a sort of lack of confidence state in the studio you end up just like freezing it's like a panic almost um so just come out of the studio with with something even if it isn't any good because you, you you'll spin the wheel once and then you'll you will hit something you know it's just a matter of time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I also think, you know, you, you've had quite a few kind of releases like this now. And, um, you know, I, I can I can only imagine that, that that you've got the sort of systems in place to recognize when you're up against a brick wall and, and how you can change gears and, and how you can get that all get, get all moving again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But also, I think I can only speak for myself here, but the brain seems to have a bit of a goldfish memory with this stuff when you're in the moment i find that like i kind of have to remember some of these things you're talking about i have to remember oh yeah i should just stick a drum loop in for now or oh yeah i should just you know just just try this thing out and just keep moving forward because it's easy to get caught up when you're in that moment it's very easy to, to sort of you know be facing your demons if you like you know yeah if, if, if you don't try and be a bit conscious about it it's that balance of you don't want to be too calculated about what you're doing, but you want to be aware enough of, oh, am I going down a bad rabbit hole here? You might be going down a good rabbit hole, but, <laughs> you know, um, it's sort of catching those catching those things before you wasted a whole day doing something useless, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that there that there's three of you as well, um, you know, as well as the vocalists and, you know, anyone else who's got the sort of creative input on the on the final product, I think that probably really helps to triangulate 
you know, what the record needs. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I think that's, that's always been one of the kind of, I think the strong points, um, of what you were doing is yeah. that, is that the three of you are, are all sort of qu- quite different in your approach to things. Like you said, Tony's more traditional, more yeah. kind of sing song. Pavo's kind of got the more like, I suppose, geeky kind of, you know, technical aspect to things. And then I think you are kind of <laughs> the synth extraordinaire and, <laughs> you know, I'm probably somewhere in the middle of the two of them actually, you know, in a way, um, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Tony's so logical. I find it, you know, it's really useful sometimes because I'll be, I'll be working away at something. He'll walk in. He's been in the other studio working on something else. And he'll go, the vocal's a bit loud. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't have even noticed because I was so obsessed with the hi-hat or something. You know what I mean? I was listening to some other detail, like going down one of my rabbit holes. You, you get in the idea. Yeah. And, um, you know, completely missed the bigger picture. On the other hand, sometimes I can do the complete opposite and have a very good overview of the bigger picture and really spot what needs to do and this is, i suppose this is the analytical phase i'm talking about where you've maybe made your creative uh, you know created your 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 hooks and everything and now it's down to the the bigger stuff you know what's really going on in this track what does it need and sometimes i'm, I'm good at spotting that sometimes not but um yeah so you guys are going to go on tour now and it's it's huge. We it's, are. <laughs> it's kind of it's it's going to yeah. be taking the world by storm um, for the next few months. Something that you guys are no strangers to, obviously. Um, once once this album has kind of run its course and 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 you've completed touring for it and stuff like that, what do you what do you think is going to be the next sort of thing and big thing in the pipeline for Above and Beyond? Do another one. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat. No. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I tell you what, I feel right now. I, I, it's funny. I don't know if you have this, but when you come to the end of an album, you suddenly got an album in your yeah. head. Um, when, when you, you know, you, you feel like, Oh, I've got loads of ideas now. <laughs> so, um, I'm looking forward to doing some more stuff we've got. Um, we're actually probably, uh, I shouldn't really mention it on here, but I'm going to anyway, and I'm going to get in trouble, but, um, we're probably going to put out, um, some other records after this as well. Um, which, we're all pretty excited about can't release any more than that on those, but, um, you know, would rule out doing another acoustic as well. I don't know if we'll do another acoustic tour. Um, it's, it, it's possible, but, um, you know, we filmed the, um, Hollywood bowl that's coming out next year, actually the, the movie of that, well, the film of that concert and documentary as well. Two, two kind of things are coming out of that. So that, yeah, there's a separate documentary, but then there's also the full length concert. So there's those coming out and yeah, we'll, we'll probably do another, I would imagine at some point we'll have another acoustic thing at some point. Although I, I'm curious to see where that's going to go. Cause you know, do we want to do something different there? How can we, how can we reinvent acoustic? Do we just want to do the same thing again, but with new songs or do we want to change the style of it a little bit? I don't know. Um, haven't thought about that yet. You know what? I would I would love to see like an above and beyond movie soundtrack, uh, a la Tron, Daft Punk, that kind of situation. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. You should come in and do a track with us for it. <laughs> Maybe like the next Mad Max movie or something. <laughs> that was um, Junkie XL. You know, did the did the whole soundtrack to Mad Max? Yeah, oh, he's 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 really talented. I love his stuff. Yeah, yeah. That I think something like that would be would be so exciting. You know? Yeah. No, I think that could I think that could really work. Actually, um, we have talked about it. Um, but the, the correct opportunity hasn't come our way as of yet, but you know, we're always looking for the right one. Um, I think, I think the thing is with doing 
if doing movies, we're not film score guys. So if we're going to do it, we need to pick the right movie because it's going to really take a lot of time out of our schedule. You know, a lot of these guys who are doing that stuff, they, they knock it out and they're very well versed in it. Whereas for us, it would be quite a big deal, you know, because we're not doing that every week. Whenever you try your hand at something new, like going on tour for the acoustic thing, it feels like a lot bigger thing to take on than if you're doing, you know, if we go and do a, a DJ show, we, we do that so often. It's it's easy for us to do it, you know? Yeah. And I guess it does require you to be sort of buried in a studio for, for three months or six months at a time, you know? Um, but still, I, I would love to hear that. I, I'm really interested in that cinema quality sound. Like I know that um, sound prank Colin has been doing a lot more of that stuff. In fact, he's kind of completely transitioned over into that world now. Yeah. And uh, some of the projects he was showing me in his studio when I was in, in Montreal, um, it was really fascinating and interesting stuff. Yeah. you. I mean, you'd be great at this, Jimbo. You'd, you know, Put yourself out here. Come on. You, you, you know, you're, you're a hugely talented musician with great, you know, great musical sensibility. It's not, it's not that common. And I think you should do something or could do. Something. I think it's a, it's a chicken and an egg situation. It's basically, I, I would love to write something like that, but it's going to sound best if somebody yeah. tells me we, we we want you to write this and the stakes are really high. That's, that's when I'm going to be able to go in and just do it. You know, <laughs> you need a bit of pressure. Um, Cause I did actually, um, I kind of I wrote a TV theme song last year uh, yeah. for The Expanse. I was reading I was reading The Expanse series of books. I was reading it on a plane actually, and this idea came to me. It yeah. was like this because I, I had heard they were making a TV a TV show, and um, I yeah. went and I wrote this TV theme song right <laughs> for the for the for The Expanse. Yeah, you know, um, and in the end they ended up having like a, a five second intro. You know, or like a very short, like for the first season, they had a very short, they didn't have a, a, a theme song basically. Um, but it was kind of a bit yeah. of a wasted effort, you know, it was kind of, yeah. So it's, it's the kind of chicken and egg thing of like, you know, I think when somebody tells me to go and write a hit for like a certain purpose, I'm much, I'm much better at, you know yeah. what I mean? No, I mean, I, it's interesting. We're cut from the same cloth because if I didn't have, um, you know, let's just say I was working on my own and I decided I wanted to do an album. I would take forever over it, you know, but having an external deadline, having James and the rest of the team upstairs saying, you've got to finish the album. You've got to finish it by November, the whatever, you know, it, it, it suddenly it happens, you know, otherwise it wouldn't happen. I'd be twiddling away on the Jupiter eight for another month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, th I think a deadline is a good thing. You know, it does force you to make some snap decisions, and it also, I, I think, it forces you to to, yeah. to put the record out uh, at ninety percent completion. That's, I think, something Morgan Page once said: is your your records should be ninety percent finished yeah. when you put them out. Yeah, you can't, you can't. I mean, I, I try and get it a hundred percent in my head, you know, but no, it never happens. There's only probably, I reckon, there's probably between five and ten tracks that I've done that I wouldn't change. I mean, I accept the flaws, let's just say, yeah. you know, I, w I wouldn't say I wouldn't change anything, but there's always something you think, oh God, I could have really improved that melody or that sound, or, you know, we really should have chopped out eight bars there. There's always something and, and you learn over time to really let go of those things. Um, I think I drive Parvo mad with it sometimes actually, because I think he, he wants to sort of feel that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm actually very, very comfortable with knowing that it should have been eight bars shorter. Yeah. And it's out there. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, but I'm also fine with noticing that it, it is eight bars too long. Whereas I think sometimes for him, it sort of bursts his bubble on it. But 
<laughs> everyone's different. You have to be careful when you're in a collaboration like that. Yeah. I, I think it's a case of, you know, you're, you're in a sense, you're writing the book that you need to read. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think writing a track teaches you the lesson <laughs> when you look back on that track and you, and you, you think about all, yeah. all the things that you would have changed about it. Like that's what you've gained yeah. from, from, you know, yeah, I, I completely agree with the, the sentiment of what you're saying there, which is that almost each bit of work musically that you do is, is a lesson. It's, it's a learning experience. And I, always say this i think that the reason that i carry on doing music is because it's never complete you know you're never complete you you're always learning and that's really exciting and i have been through phases years and years ago probably seven or eight years ago when i got a bit bored and you know i was like god is, is this for me should i change career or you know crazy stuff like that um just you know things you go through in your head but no definitely i mean i feel like still really excited about music and I, I feel like the age of music we're going into now is 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 exciting because i feel like there's room to be yourself and it's probably partially um the fact you know the, the state of our career is, is in good health and everything but i think it is also the way the industry is you know you don't have to just write a three-minute pop song do you you can do what you want you might not make as much money out of it but you know, there's room for there's room for everybody. I think um, I, I do think though it is still challenging if you're, you, you know, if you're a struggling artist, it can be really tough in this industry. Yeah. But I think it's always been that way. It's always you know, the music industry throughout the ages has been, you know, there's always been struggles. So I don't really see much change there. They're just maybe different ones for a different era, aren't they? Yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you. Like, I think I'm more excited about the process of creating music than I ever have been before. Yeah, it's a great feeling. But it's way less. It's way less conditional than it used to be. It, it's it's not dependent yeah. on me like achieving a certain success or getting outcomes. You know, um, yeah. and I'm I'm much more. That's the danger. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like like you said, you know, there is definitely an element of struggle. People are going to rip you off. People are going to treat you wrong. People are going to take things away from you yeah. if you if you let them. You know, yeah. um, you can't control all of that can you you can't yeah you can't control all of that it's going to happen anyway so that it's better to just focus on doing something you do great rather than worrying about what someone else is going to do to you or uh, generally you know it's yeah and, and like you said i think that struggle you can ultimately use it to serve what you're doing mm. you can use it as fuel for the creativity and you can take it and you can turn it into something really good and for me, that is being a breakthrough artist. That's, yeah. you know, I think everyone's got this like pie in the sky beginning and then they sort of climb this mountain. And I think yeah. the point when you reach the top is when you realize that you're going to be happy to keep climbing for the rest of your life if that's what it, if that's what it takes, you know? <laughs> yeah, you've got to enjoy the journey. It's a cliche, I know, but you really have, haven't you? Because if you're not enjoying the moment in a sense, I know it's a very uh, now thing to say, you know, with all the sort of mindfulness um stuff that's out there um but it's so true if you you know if you're not enjoying standing up there on stage and you're only doing it for the paycheck you're in the wrong job because what are you going to do sit at home with all the money you've made what are you going to do with that you know <laughs> you've got to enjoy the experience of of what you're doing in the studio and that, that said I, I do feel that there's certain tracks that i enjoy after the fact more than the struggle you know and that's okay too you know there's some some that were bloody painful to put together, you know, yep. <laughs> you kind of re really battled to get, um, to get this track finished. And it was never, you know, it was maybe never quite as you wanted it to do, but you know, a year later you sort of listen to it and you go, Oh, I'm quite proud of that. Actually. That's all right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it wasn't as, it wasn't as terrible as I was, I was freaking out that it was going to be. Yeah. You know? Um, 
Definitely. And there's other ones where you had a complete laugh and, you know, Jimbo walked in because he was in town from, you know, he come back from Greece and he happened to be in London and he said hello. And there's other, you know, there's other ones that you attach other memories that are very much about the process too and the fun you had doing it. So, yeah, there's no set kind of way of it all coming together, I think. And I think it, a lot of it is allowing for all these things to happen rather than trying to control all the variables all the time. Because I, I really... I really feel that's what I, I've spent a lot of time doing it. We've spent a lot of time doing it, trying to control situations, you know, in order to get the best outcomes. And you, you kind of, you know, when you're doing a gig, you do that in certain ways by choosing the right equipment and things like that. And there are certain things you have to do, but there are some things that are out of our control. And that's, that's actually the exciting bit. And the moment you embrace that stuff is the moment you really start to enjoy it rather than, you know, trying to control everything, which I think... I see that a lot in this industry, you know? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think from, from certainly from the outside, I think everyone can see that, you know, that you guys have really overcome that. And it sounds like you're in a really good position to actually just really enjoy, you know, the experience that that's bringing now. Yeah. And I think a, lo- a lot of people are going to, are going to enjoy it with you, uh, at the same time. So yeah. Um, that's okay. very exciting. I hope, uh, <laughs> and I hope we, Hope we get to see you you soon. I don't know if our paths are crossing anytime soon. I, I basically all I know at the stage is I'm going to Australia for a month, and then maybe Asia for a month, and then after that I have no idea. I think back to like maybe West Coast USA. It's it's just, <laughs> there's like all this stuff on the table at the moment, so I have no idea. But you know, I certainly hope that I can catch you somewhere on the road at some point, and I, I hope you get to enjoy your time off as well. It sounds like it's it's well earned. Yeah, no, it's been really nice having a couple of days off. I mean, that's you know. I've, these days i think and i'm sure you're the same you try and get a bit more balance in your life as you get a bit older um it's really important because otherwise you, you don't you don't do good stuff in terms of you know creative output and um you know the last month has been kind of tough in in terms of work i don't you know doing doing so many late nights and and not really having a day off does take its toll yep. it's not really the way i want to live my life as much as i love this career you know there's more to life than just sitting in a in a dark room staring at a screen listening to a 4-4 kick drum and <laughs> and playing some music over the top yeah. of it um <laughs> so it is lovely to have a, it's lovely to have a day a couple of days off just to get back to reality and have some semblance of a, a normal life yeah for sure. Well, uh, speaking of which, I, I don't want to take away your pool time too much. No so, uh, lastly, I'll just I'll just ask you, um, <laughs> where can people check out information on the new album? Where's the best place for people to go? I suppose the best place is, um, there's a couple of places. You go to our Facebook page, obviously, uh, facebook.com slash above and beyond, I think it is. Um, but also our website, aboveandbeyond.nu. That's because the .com was taken. Um, and... I'm trying to think. Of course, you can listen to it on Spotify. I think it's out on, I think it's January the 26th or something like that. See, I don't even know when it's out, but. (laughs) Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Above and Beyond Common Ground coming out January 2018. It's going to be totally rad. And uh, be sure to check out their website for all of their tour dates uh, corresponding to that release. Jono, it's been really great to hear your voice again and have you on the show. Um, Thank you for taking the time to do this. I know that the fans are going to really appreciate this little bit of insight and it's always fun to do this kind of thing. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thanks a lot for having me on the show, mate. And you know how much I love your music and everything you've contributed to the world of music over the years. I think it's awesome. Um, looking forward to more amazing things from you and loving, uh, only now. 
great track. Thanks, mate. Cool. Well, here's to more awesome music in 2018. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you soon. Speak to you soon, mate. Take care. Okay, ciao. That wraps it up for my chat with Jono today. I hope you all found it very interesting and enjoyable. I certainly did. Before I scoot off today, I'm going to play you a little preview of a track coming from my forthcoming Anjuna Beats EP. This one's called Song of Fire, and uh, hopefully the Anjuna Beats crew don't mind me uh, demoing it to you a little bit early. So here it is. This is the tranciest of three tracks coming out in February. Hope you enjoy it. Don't forget you can listen back to and subscribe to this show anytime at jtechmusic.com or you can listen back to it on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash jtechmusic. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.